Well, as I mentioned this morning, we're continuing our Truth and Power series, and as we have been the last couple of weeks, uh, we're listening to people who have, uh, who have committed significant parts of their life to pursuing justice and what it looks like to pursue justice, and we're trying to learn from them, just as we learned from Amos about what it looks like to see injustice and to step out. We're trying to learn from some modern-day prophets, if you will, people who have seen injustice and are, are stepping into that. And I'm so excited for our uh, guest today, for you guys to get to know her a little bit better. Amy Jackson is the director of Joshua Station, which is a transitional housing facility for homeless families. It's part of the Mile High Ministries uh, organization, which is a larger group of ministries in the city. But Amy specifically focuses on uh, working with homeless homeless families, and they have a great two-year program where they help uh, families move through this process uh, to establish some stability in their life and and to begin to get some direction. She's going to share a little bit more about what that looks like this morning. So if you would, uh, join me in welcoming Amy. There you go. So, Amy, thanks so much for being here. If you don't know, Joshua Station is one of uh, New Denver's primary mission partners in the city. So many of you are familiar. You've served with them before. But for those who don't know, maybe, Amy, tell us a little bit about what you guys do at Joshua Station and and what you guys are all about. Sure. Um, Thanks for having me this morning. How many of you guys have been to Joshua Station? Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Lots of you. So um, you already know a bit about um, who we are and what we do. But um, we're, if you haven't been there, we're an old hotel that sits off of I-25 and 8th Avenue, kind of in the shadow of um, Mile High Stadium. And we work with families who are experiencing homelessness. Uh, we, as Stephen said, we have about a two-year program. While families are with us, we are helping them figure out what they want to accomplish during their time with us. Um, we are providing counseling, employment, and education, and just some life skills training. Simultaneously, we're working with kids um, doing some early literacy, counseling for kids as well, some tutoring, and a lot of um, mentoring that goes on at Joshua Station. So um, I, I like to think of Joshua Station as just this little beautiful community in the um, heart of, of downtown Denver where there's just a lot of um, beauty, I think, that takes place amidst some hard things, but um, we try to celebrate the beauty that, that occurs there. Yeah, and you guys specifically work, just for those who don't know, you specifically work with families, and maybe tell us a little bit about the, the decision to, 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 you know, specifically work with that group of people within homelessness, that, that you guys aren't a, an emergency shelter, you guys focus on transitional housing. What Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So um, we, Mile High Ministries years ago started working with um, homeless youth on um, Colfax. And um, we started to realize that, gosh, these, where are these kids coming from? They have to have parents and families. Um, and, and, you know, through a little bit of investigation, of course, we've, we find out that parents, families are struggling. If kids are homeless, families are struggling. And so we really shifted our ministry from just focusing on youth to, to incorporating the whole family. And we dreamed 20 years ago of owning a hotel and being able to provide housing and support to the whole family. Um, families are one of the fastest growing populations within the homeless community, and not many services focus on the whole family unit. Oftentimes there are shelters and programs that serve single men, that serve single women, um, but very few organizations that focus on the entire family unit. Yeah. 
Amy, I want to take a step back from what you're doing today, and I'd love for you to go back if you could. One of the things we've talked about in this series is we've looked at Amos as an example. You know, Amos was a shepherd. He was somebody who, who wasn't involved in politics or, you know, he, he sort of saw what was happening and then moved in. Where did this journey begin for you? What did you see that motivated you to begin moving in this direction, and, and how did you end up where you are today? Yeah, of course, it wasn't a straight line process. Um, I don't think it really ever is. Um, But I um, I was talking to Stephen a little bit before the service and asking him where he was from and where he grew up. I grew up in West Virginia, um, which is a a rather poor, um, uneducated, um, for the most part, certainly generalizing here, but um, I I grew up in a very poor family and... um, experienced what it was like um, to not have um, and to have a a family that lived in crisis uh, 24-7 and um, got to experience what that was like as a child um, and and really developing a survival kind of mentality. And so I think from a young age, I I had this sense of there's got to be a way out of this system. And so much of poverty becomes generational. So much of homelessness becomes a generational thing where we see if parents are homeless, the likelihood of their kids growing up and becoming homeless is, is significant. So from an early age, I, I didn't want that for myself or for my family. Um, so I really felt this calling from an early age to, to do something different. Um, in a, in a circuitous way, in my young years, I thought, I'm going to go to the mission field, and I'm going to make a difference. I wasn't really clear and specific about how I was going to do that or what kind of difference I was going to make, but I needed to get out um, of the system that I was in. So I... Um, Worked with Youth with the Mission for about four years. Traveled the world, saving souls, and um, which which is great. Um, but I quickly realized, gosh, I'm having these one-time contacts with individuals, and what kind of difference am I really able to make? You know, in that one one-time contact, and so. Um, Left the mission field, um, came back and went to college, got an education in social work, and began working face-to-face with families over a long period of time. And really, my heart became drawn towards um, shifting that generational um, lineage that that um, occurs within families and um, being in that for the long haul. Um, and so, in a in a roundabout way. Yeah, um, yeah. I, no, I think that's, you're, like you said, that's, that's often the way it is. There's, there's some meandering that has to take place. And, and what was it for you, or what were some of the first steps that you began to take as you began, you, you mentioned being in social work. Did you, did you choose uh, working with homeless families as, as something, or, or were you sort of drawn into it just by exposure and opportunity? How did that happen Yeah, that's a great you? question. I, I think it chose me. Um, I spent probably the first 15 years of my professional career working with trauma survivors, um, working primarily with domestic violence victims and sexual assault victims. And through that work, a large percentage of, um, of, of domestic violence and sexual assault victims also have experienced homelessness at some point in their life. And so there's a lot of crossover for me um, working in, in the, the field of trauma um, with homelessness. And I don't know that I was 
super aware of that until I came across an organization, Joshua Station, um, that was working with homeless families, many of whom had experienced domestic violence and sexual assault. And um, I lived up in Summit County for about 25 years and was pretty rooted there, loved my community, loved the work I was doing. And then one day um, during a prayer time, this little voice in the back of my head, um, Joshua Station, Joshua Station. And just out of the blue, truly. Um, And I had some connections to Joshua Station, but through, through that, really felt a calling um, to, to move down to Denver, um, to reconnect to this organization that I had some connections to, um, and begin working um, with homeless families really through a lens of trauma and understanding um, all that they have experienced and the ways that that has been traumatizing to the adults in the family as well as the kids. Yeah. So I'd love to take you to take us into your world and share a little bit about um, homelessness that that maybe we don't see or don't understand. Because I think the closer you get, the more you see and the more you understand, but the more complicated it becomes as well. I mean, the, the, sometimes the, the the biggest experts are the ones who have all the answers or the ones who, who don't have, they're not in it. And so we... we we know that you have seen some things that we haven't seen from that perspective. Uh, what are some things about homelessness that, that maybe we, we don't know or, or that would be helpful to know about the problem of homelessness? Yeah, um, you know, working in the field, you, you certainly learn a lot that, that you just didn't, you didn't know as, as um, you know, a, a person who's, who's oh. not working. Uh-oh. Yep. May have lost. It's back. It's back. Okay. Um, The first thing I would say is homeless people are people too. Um, They are people created in the image of God. They are people loved um, by God as much as I am, as much as you are. And I think think it's a population that we can easily view as kind of throwaway. And I don't think God creates throwaways. Um, and so first and foremost, and, and, and I've come to really hold that belief that when I'm working with a, a family who's experiencing homelessness, that this is God. This is God's creation here in front of me. And um, it's really easy to, to see the homeless population as, as not valuable, as not worthy, as not important. Um, and so first and foremost, I would say through building relationships with the families that we work with, um, I've, I've grown to see and appreciate the value and the worth um, within every homeless individual. Um, secondly, I'd say there are different populations of, of homeless. When we, we, we tend to talk about homeless in this one great big bucket. And um, there's a, a, a wide variety of individuals who may find themselves in a homeless situation. Um, so there are those homeless who are chronically homeless. Um, those individuals who for years and years and years, because of trauma that they've experienced, because of substance abuse, because of a disability, that that have been living literally on the streets for years and years and years. In the city of Denver, um, that population is about 1,600. Um, so those are the individuals who are living in the, the tent sort of um, makeshift homes that they've created for themselves. 
That population is a distinct population within homeless services. There's also a much larger population of homeless individuals who are working, who are um, getting younger and younger, and who oftentimes have children. Um, many of these are the what we refer to as the working poor, um, even a little below that, that idea of the working poor, um, who just aren't able to afford to live in a thriving, booming economy like Denver has become. Um, and that's a different population with different needs than our chronic living on the streets population. And that's um, important to us as an organization to know which of those populations we are focusing on, which of those populations um, we feel called to, to serve. Yeah, so to really focus is what allows you guys to have uh, the effectiveness of being able to make a bigger difference rather than saying, hey, we're going to, it's that focus that allows you guys to, to do that. Um, so I'm curious, so we talked a little bit last week about systemic problems, like problems that when it's not just injustice between individuals, but that becomes embedded into, into systems of relationships. Maybe what are some of the complicating factors or the things that, that maybe contribute to homelessness that, that you, you mentioned the rising cost of living in Denver. Obviously, that's a huge problem for people who are working poor right on the edge. Are there other things that you see that are, that are sort of systemic problems that you're working against or, or, or that maybe people wouldn't see? Um, yeah, so the two big ones, and, and the one is, is what you referenced, is um, cost of living in Denver right now is crazy, if you haven't noticed. Um, so for a, a single parent who has a um, preschooler and a um, school-age kid, the amount of money that they need to make in order to be making it in the city of Denver right now is about $66,000 a year, which comes out to $30, $30 an hour. Minimum wage in Denver is about $11 an hour. So a lot of the families that we work with are employed, but they're making that $11 an hour, which is nowhere near what they need to make in order to be self-sufficient in Denver. So the rate of pay, um, and this is nationwide, hasn't kept up with the cost of living, right? So what does it cost to rent an apartment in Denver right now, a one-bedroom apartment in Denver? Any guesses? Yeah, exactly. Right around fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500. There's no way somebody who's making $11 an hour is going to be able to afford that. So a lot of the core issues right now with homelessness is because we're in a very successful time. Our economy is booming. And you would think that there might be a correlation that then people who are struggling should be doing better. But in fact, that gap between those who are able to be successful and those who aren't is just widening. And so um, we're not paying individuals enough to be able to afford to live in our city right now. So the face of homelessness is changing drastically because of that. What do you see, what, what's the reaction from local organizations as, I mean, that's been a rapid change. Uh, being proactive isn't necessarily the government's strong suit. Right. 
So uh, what do you see happening and are there any, is there any encouragement that, that things are gonna get better or is it gonna get worse in terms of thinking about homelessness in Denver? I hate to say it, <laughs> but I, I fear it's going to get worse. Um, we, there's, there's a model out there and it's a great model that's called Housing First. And it's this idea that you, you have a homeless person, and I talked about those 1,600 who are chronically homeless. Um, the way to make them not homeless is to give them a roof over their head, right? And so that's a sweeping model um, going across our country right now is cities and the federal government putting money into housing those chronically homeless. That's working, but we can't house people fast enough to keep up with this other population that's newly becoming homeless. And so all of our energy shifted over here, and then we sort of stopped focusing on what's causing people to become homeless in the first place. And so until cities, governments, those of us in the field become proactive about really addressing the causes of homelessness, I think the problem is destined to only get, get worse. So in the face of that, I wanna shift gears and talk a little bit about how you respond to that. Because one of the things um, I think we can, we can fall into, we talked about this last week, is we can see need and we can jump right in and start doing things, trying to help, and inadvertently, make things worse. Um, and one of the things I've appreciated about you guys at Mile High Ministries is you have this great principle of, of contemplative action that you wanna really think about and be thoughtful and purposeful. Uh, maybe talk a little, bit, a little bit about mistakes that you've made or mistakes that you've seen made out of maybe good intentions, but that have ended up making the problem worse. Sure. Um, I'll start by saying when, when Joshua Station started back in 2001, um, we were a transitional program. We thought a 60-day program that's, that's what we need to be, right? In 60 days, we're going to bring a family into Joshua Station, and we're going to turn their lives around, and they're going to walk out the door in 60 days and be ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't happen. And so we learned really quickly um, that change... Change is hard and takes time. I always use myself and say I've been trying to lose 15 pounds for 20 years. Um, right? We don't, change doesn't come about easily or quickly. Um, so we quickly realized our program needed to be much longer than, than 60 days. I think um, something that we've learned the hard way too along the way is this idea that there are crisis problems and then there are chronic problems. Homelessness, especially for that um, population, the 1,600 who are chronically homeless, <laughs> that's a chronic problem, right? And so we want to address a chronic problem um, utilizing chronic strategies, right? And so that's why providing long-term housing for that population is the right, um, is the right way to approach that. Families who are experiencing a first-time homeless situation, that may be more of like a crisis situation, right? And so we wanna dive into that situation with a crisis perspective, which means we're not gonna give you housing for the rest of your life. We're gonna give you housing for a period of time to help get you back on your feet. Um, now, within that, 
there are, there's variations on that, right? And so now that we're working with families who are in this, we hope, a short-term crisis situation, we don't want to continue to just give and give and give and give, right? We need to be paying attention to what's going to help you be successful. How can we work with you in a way that you're going to feel empowered to do for yourself versus us doing for you? And so there's nuances Mm -hmm. in this chronic crisis lens, um, but we're really conscious of empowering our families to become self-sufficient. And if we're doing for them too much, that's never going to happen. Um, and we, we use the example of um, all the, uh, if there's an earthquake somewhere, right? That's a crisis situation. We need to throw resources and money and people at that situation. If you continue to do that over a long period of time, you're just enabling that. So we think about that oftentimes with the work with, that we do with our families. Yeah, maybe, maybe even help us um, as you think about um, how you guide churches or individuals to engage with homelessness. Uh, I know, for example, you did this great uh, seminar for churches around Christmas time because that's a time where everybody's feeling extra generous and wanting to help. And sometimes they can inadvertently make things worse. But you guys have this great great process where you set up the Christmas store, churches like ours donate gifts, and then the family gets to come and purchase those as a, at a fixed price so that the family, you know, the parents are the heroes, not the churches coming in, swooping in with gifts. Do you have other examples or ways that you can say, like, here's a way to help or, or to, to not create that dependency? Um, yeah. what, what are some it's, other things? It was really well described um, in terms of the Christmas store and the philosophy that we try to create. Um, so anytime we're giving anything for free um, to families who aren't um, in the present moment experiencing a crisis, that's not helpful. So we think about food banks. We think about free clothes. We think about free gifts at Christmas time. We think about free, um, free anything, right? Um, so we, we want to try to find ways where families, where parents get to have that experience that you as parents get to have in terms of, I have the resources to go buy my child a gift that I think they would want and I get to have that experience of gifting that to my child. If I go and buy some gift that looks cool or whatever, and I give it to a homeless family, wrap it up with a nice bow on it, and say, here, give this to your child, it's a much different experience. Um, so we really try to encourage families to pitch in something. It doesn't have to be a lot, but have some buy-in in this so that you get to feel the pride and um, that you get to feel like you have the capacity to, to figure this out. Um, and that's what we need our families to do. So we at Joshua Station, families, um, if they're out of toilet paper, we're not going to give them a roll of toilet paper. They're going to come and give us 25 cents for a roll of toilet paper. They're out of diapers. We have some diapers. You we want, are asking you to pay 50 cents for a diaper. Um, so in everything that we do, we're thinking about how we're empowering families. Um, another, uh, another thing that we do at Joshua Station is on Thursday nights, we have a community dinner. I know many of you in here have participated in that. 
we're really careful about how we set that up. So we have volunteer groups who come in and provide the meal to our families. We don't want you as a volunteer group serving our families. We want you sharing a meal with our families. So think about the power dynamic, the difference between those two things, right? We want our families to feel like they're just like me because they are created in the image of God. And there doesn't need to be a distinction between I'm here to serve you as opposed to I'm here to be in relationship with you as another human being created in the image of God. Um, so we're, we're always thinking about those power dynamics and how we empower the families that we work with. So what, what guidance could you give us? Um, you know, if someone's here today and they're moved by this problem that's only getting worse in our city and they want to get involved, but they don't want to make things worse, what, what are some steps that you would, you would give them either through Joshua Station? Um, we have lots of opportunities that we give to people through small groups and others to, to plug in with you guys, but, but maybe from your perspective, what are some, some specific needs either with or, or if, through another organization if, there's, if people are wanting to engage with homelessness? Absolutely. What would you say? I mean, Joshua Station's a wonderful place and there are lots of other wonderful places out there. I think the key is relationship. Um, so whatever it is that you, your heart may be calling you to do, do it in the context of relationship. Um, oftentimes we, we use the example of the, the individual on the street corner, right, holding, holding the sign up. Um, it's okay to give that individual money, but are you... Are you, are you solving really anything by doing that? Um, you don't know unless you're in relationship with that individual. Um, so we would challenge people to think about giving that person money because it's outside of the context of relationship. So whatever it is that you may feel called to do, do it through that lens of relationship. So at Joshua Station, if you come and, and provide a meal, we may ask you, come frequently. Come, come often so that you get to build those relationships with our families. Um, giving money is great, and I don't want to hear you, I don't want you to hear me saying don't give money, but give money to organizations who you know do that relationship really well. Um, relationships change lives, not programs, not dollars, those things help but it's through that one-on-one -on -one relationship that lives get changed. So any way that you can establish that um, through whatever ministry you may choose, I would say that would be the thing to, to focus on. Yeah, I know we, and we wanted to talk, I know specifically this morning, many of you have gone and done the Sprucer Room, which is a group coming together to fix up a room for a new family that's coming in. Because when the families leave, they get to take all their furniture and everything that's there with them. So every new family that comes in, it's a brand new room. So some of you have, got, have done that. There's, there's the serving the meals. But I know that there is, a, there is something you've been trying to get uh, people to help with it. It's a little bit bigger investment, the Wiz Kids tutoring. Talk a little bit about that and about how people could maybe get involved to build a relationship with the kids of Joshua Station. Too. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's really through the kids that, um, that we believe we're, we're making generational changes as I, as I started with. Um, so we are focused on the adults and helping adults earn more um, income and to be better equipped to handle the challenges that come their way. But we also know that focusing on kids and their needs 
is likely going to create a different pathway for them. And so we're looking at poverty and homelessness two generations at a time. So for our kids, living at Joshua Station is like heaven. <laughs> um, and if you've spent any time there, you, you get to experience that. I mean, just think about it. your best friend kind of lives two doors down from you. And, you know, every single day you can go knock on the door and, and play with that person endlessly. Um, for kids who live at Joshua Station, they get to experience a safe um, stable environment, which can be life-changing for them. In the midst of that, they're building healthy relationships with uh, adults in our community, which is where we look to um, volunteers to help us do that. So WizKids, I'm sure many of you are familiar with WizKids, is a, is a tutoring program um, that happens October through April every year. And so we ask for volunteers to commit to um, tutoring for that period of time for two hours on a Wednesday night. You get matched up with a kiddo that you work with the whole year. And so you're tutoring that kid, which is great. Most homeless kids are at least two years behind academically than non-homeless kids. So that service is, is much needed. But on top of that, you're also building a mentoring type relationship with that kiddo where you're becoming a trusted adult in their lives, um, which they may not have experienced a lot of those. Um, so our big push right now is to find more WizKids tutors. Um, so if anybody has any interest in that, we'd love to, to connect with you. So, and I'm going to make, it's Father's Day, so I'm going to make an yes. assumption yes. that there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of single moms. Yes. And so guys, if you're looking for an opportunity to serve, getting involved serving these kids through WizKids would be a great way to, to provide a positive male influence in, in, in these kids' lives as yeah, well? Yeah, you're right. Um, the majority of the families that we work with are, sh are single moms um, with, with about two kids um, who have experienced domestic violence. Um, so we have a huge gap where um, we have kids who have no um, positive male figures in their lives. And so we're always looking for male volunteers. Um, also, I'll give a shout out to Phil and Emily um, who lived at Joshua station as a resident volunteer for a period of time. Um, and anytime we can get a male <laughs> as a resident volunteer, um, we just think that's amazing. So, um, so there are opportunities to become a resident volunteer as well. Um, and again, you can talk to me about that or talk to Phil and Emily about that. Last question. I would love for you to just speak to the person who's in the room and this series is stirring something in them. Um, maybe it's not about homelessness. Maybe it's about some, something else. But from your journey, your experience, what would you say to the younger version of you? What would you say to that person who's, who's maybe feeling that, that sense of calling, but there's, there's some questions or fear? What would you say to them? Yeah, you know, I listened to your previous, um, the previous individuals um, who spoke, and especially Sarah, when Sarah talked about um, Casa de Paz, and just, man, she's impressive, isn't she? <laughs> um, I just, I was so struck by her, and, and I would echo what she said, is just Start dipping your foot into the places that you feel God is, is calling you to. It doesn't have to become your life's work. Um, I'm assuming many of you have work and um, a, a career that you're focused on, but there are other ways to, um, to, to find fulfilling things in your life. And I would just say, take that first step, um, explore uh, different organizations, and it may turn into a change in your career, a different pathway. Um, but 
I don't think we have to have all the answers, right? When, when we're, we just are feeling that prompting. Um, when, when do we ever have all the answers? So I would say, don't be afraid to, to take that first step. That's great. Amy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the work that you do. Join me in thanking, thank you, Amy, for your time. I just wanted um, to just quickly say thank you to, to you guys. Um, you guys have been wonderful partners um, for us at Joshua Station and Mile High Ministries, and we just so value um, your willingness to, to be a part of our community, and um, it's, it's, how, it's how it goes when churches partner with ministries, and um, hopefully it's a good partnership for you guys as well. It is. So it's thank great. you very much. So, so grateful for you guys. Um, well, thanks, Amy, for being here. Um, if, you're, if you're new to this series, uh, again, you're going to want to come back next week. We've got another great guest to talk about. But I hope this is stirring something in you. Um, we've got one more week of interviews, and then we're going to wrap it up and talk about maybe what does this look like going forward? How can we begin to take steps of action? But I hope God's already doing that work in you now. So thanks again, Amy, for being here and being a part of that. Join me as we pray as we'll, we close out our uh, service together today. Heavenly Father, thank you for thank you so much for the work of Joshua Station. Thank you for Amy and her passion and her excitement to to just share about what you've done in her and what you're doing through her and through the folks at Joshua Station. Um, I, I pray that for us as a church, we would continue to pray for the families of Joshua Station as we've committed to be a partner in the ministry that they do and that, that for people today who haven't been or haven't served, that, that they would consider that. Um, but that God, more than anything, you would just help us to continue to have your eyes for people to see, as, as Amy said, that, that homeless people, people who are disadvantaged, people who are living on the margins, they're people first, um, created by you, loved by you, worthy of our dignity uh, and our honor and, and our respect. Um, and so God, uh, change us and the way that we see um, other people. We pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.